part two of the series that we started last week called Endangered Species. On the screen there, yeah, if you weren't here last week, uh, that was the last uh, remaining white rhino on planet Earth. Uh, his name was Sudan, and, and they had to put him down in his mid-40s, I believe was his age, and they had to put him down. And uh, we're, we're fascinated and captivated and disturbed uh, by these stories of species quickly going in, uh, extinct. In this uh, case of the white rhino, uh, they are poached. And uh, this rhino, if you go to the next slide, was, was guarded 24-7 uh, from poachers. Uh, there are only two remaining white rhinos left on the planet. They're both female. And so they're going to try and find a way to perhaps take uh, this male's DNA and maybe artificially inseminate or something. But they're an endangered species, and they're poached. Um, I would I would venture to say, without trying to minimize this or the whole the whole problem of species uh, quickly going extinct on our planet, uh, that there's another species that's endangered, and that's the human species. You say, well, there's plenty of humans on the planet. There's only seven or eight billion of us, or whatever. I don't understand what you mean by that. Well, I'm talking more about the kinds of relationships that we have. Um, and if you look at the next picture and you see, we're going to talk about married people today, but you know, many of these people probably will have kids too, and most of them or all of them were single before they got married. Do they look happy? Look closely. Eh, not so much, right? The happiest ones are the ones who go on earphones in one ear, one's in earphones in the other ear, and they're not even looking at each other. And they're the only couple that's smiling. I mean, you've got a guy who's, it's his wedding day, and he's falling asleep on his wife's shoulder. His wife doesn't look too happy about the fact that he's already sleeping on her shoulder. He doesn't look too excited. And they, they all got these kind of weird look on their face, these couples that are going to get married. We have now changed all the meanings of all these things. So when it comes to, to single people, married people, parents, we have changed the definitions, right? So now we've redefined marriage. Marriage is no longer uh, what it used to be. The idea of you have a, a male and a female, right? One of each gender, and they come together publicly and, and before God uh, and, and join themselves together uh, uh, in a monogamous, exclusive relationship until death do them part. Marriage is no longer defined this way. Marriage is now two of anybody. Doesn't really matter what the gender is. Can be a genderless person. Now, if we're single, married, or parents, we're even deciding our genders, right? It doesn't really matter what your DNA says. Now you can actually say, well, no, I'm the one who decides my gender. And this affects everything. We've redefined all of these kinds of relationships because we want to be in charge. Uh, I'm going to say something very, very controversial uh, at the outset here. Extremely controversial now, even in churches. So just hear me on this one. I'm going to catch your attention. There is a difference between men and women. Sorry. I know that's very controversial to say these days. I'll say it again. There's a difference between men and women. How many of you agree with me on that? All right, so all the men look at the women in the room. All the women look at the men in the room. Do you see a difference? 
This is now becoming extremely controversial to say, even in many churches. In many churches, we say, well, you know, anything that a man can do, a woman can do, anything a woman can do, a man can do, they're all the same. There's no difference. I'm here to tell you there is a difference. There are things that men can do that women cannot do. There are things that women can do that men cannot do. How many men you've gotten pregnant and carried a child to term? We're even doing that now, you know. You have, you have a person who's born uh, uh, female as per biology, and what do they do? They have, they, they have hormone replacement therapy, all this stuff. They declare themselves a male. They look like a male, but all the parts are still female. And now they're getting pregnant. And we, look, we see pictures of it. We scratch our heads. We say, how'd that dude get pregnant? Well, the dude's not a dude, at least not by biology's standards. And I know this is very controversial to say, but men, you will never get pregnant and carry a child to term. You cannot do what she can do. You are incapable of doing it. Women who are in the room, you cannot choose the gender of your child. You know who does that? The man does. And it's unbeknownst to him even. But he's the one with the DNA, right? You remember your biology? He's got the X and the Y. She's got the X and the X, right? The chromosome thing, that's grade five, grade six biology. So, you know, all she can give at the moment of conception is an X. That's all she's got. But Buddy over here, he's got the X and the Y. So if he, if he gives an X, you've got two Xs and you've got a female. If he gives a Y, you've got an X and a Y, you've got a boy. Do you understand the difference? And these differences extend to all areas of life. It's anatomical, it's biological, it's chemical, it's hormonal, it's physiological, it's emotional. It's all these things. The brains are different. When you take one man and one woman and you unite them together publicly in a monogamous, exclusive relationship for life, here you have marriage. Now, we have redefined all this. This is why I say it's an endangered species. Last week, we talked about healthy singles. Remember, you can be single. You can serve God. You can serve God for the rest of your life being single. You can be completely happy. Remember, you find your completeness in Christ. You don't compromise. You don't lose your integrity. Uh, We'll talk about parents in a couple of weeks. Married people, you too can be, be joyful. You too can be fulfilled in life. You too, your, your marriage can make it, but the marriage that makes it is becoming an endangered species. So I want to talk to married people today or people who may have been married or people who are thinking about getting married. Let me give you some marriage myths. A lot of problems in marriage come from bad expectations, all right? Whenever I, whenever I do a wedding for a couple, I go through these myths. So you're going to get them for free today. All right? Uh, Let me give them to you quickly. Myth number one, my partner will meet all my needs for companionship. Once I get married, I have, that's all I need is that person for life. How many married people you believe that's true? Don't put your hand up. (laughs) It it really isn't true. And as as you continue to be married, you will discover that. You'll discover that, you know, your spouse, they're, they're, they have weaknesses too. And you need more than just your spouse if you're going to have companionship. You need community. That's what the church is for. 
Number two, time will resolve our problems. Time heals all wounds, we say. No, time makes scabs on wounds, but doesn't necessarily heal all wounds, does it? Uh, number three, if I have to ask, it's not as meaningful. I should not have to ask my spouse for such and such a thing. They should know they should be able to read my mind. They should have a perpetual gift of the word of knowledge all the time. Or else maybe they don't love me if they can't read my mind. I shouldn't have to ask. I shouldn't have to assert myself. They should know, right? It, it, we call this assertive communication, right? Oh, no, you don't have to assert yourself. Yes, you do. Number four, we should live happily ever after with no major problems, like a Disney movie. Happily ever after, no major problems. That's mythology. Number five, keeping secrets about my past. Keeping that skeleton in my closet is acceptable if it would only cause pain for my partner, for my spouse, if I let them know about the secret. You know, it's like the guy uh, who has all these, these former, you know, girlfriends and all that, and then he gets married. He's walking down the street with his wife, and all these girls are saying hi to him. Hi, remember me? And she says, who are those women? Oh, nobody, right? I don't know how things are going to go uh, with, with that whole setup. Keeping secrets not really a good idea. Number six, less romance means we have less love for one another. Uh, romance is a, is a product of skill. And when you learn how to skillfully be married, you'll see that you'll have uh, perhaps a little more romance. But be just because you have less doesn't mean you have less love. Doesn't mean your commitment to love one another has somehow gone down. Uh, number seven, our relationship will remain the same. We'll always be the same. We'll always stay the same. No, you're changing as it, by the minute you are changing. You know what's happening to you? Age. Age. And a year from now, you're going to age even more. You're going to look different, talk different, smell different, walk different, talk different. You're going to change. So your relationship is going to change. Uh, number eight, a little bit embarrassing perhaps, my partner's interest in sex will be the same as mine. Uh -uh, uh -uh. And some of you who are married, you realize that. All the men in the room say, oh, too bad. Right? You, usually they say that. No, no, your, 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 your spouse's interest and your interest in, you, you know, matters of the bedroom are not always the same. And that's not always a bad thing. Number nine, our relationship will be better when we have a baby. We fight like crazy, so let's have a baby. That'll make things better. <laughs> no, now the baby has to deal with your fighting. Right? And so you'll, you'll take care of the baby for a while. And when, when the baby grows up, then you'll keep fighting. As soon as the baby leaves the house. Number 10, we will do things just like my family did. You better not. Your spouse may not be too happy about that. Uh, number 11, nothing could cause us to question our love for one another. Oh, no, sweetheart. Nothing you could ever do could cause me to question my love for you. Yeah, right. Uh, let me see your cell phone. Who's that number two? I have a question, right? That's not always a bad thing. You can question your love for one another. You could still have a happy marriage. Number 12, I believe I know everything there is to know about my partner. Uh -uh. Your partner doesn't even know everything about them own, their own selves. 
you think you're really going to know everything about them? It's going to take you a lifetime to learn about your spouse. Number 13, love is all you need for a great marriage. No, you need a place to live. You need a job. You need food on the table. Love is all we need. Well, you, you need skill. Uh, number 14, it is better, and this is the final one, better to keep silent about something bothering me, just bottle it inside, than to cause unnecessary problems in our relationship. Just keep it buried in. I don't want to say anything. Bad idea. You know what happens after a while? It explodes, and then you've got major, major problems. These are expectations, myths that we have about marriage. Now, here's the problem in theological circles, in churches, in, in, even in monotheistic religions, which tend to have similar views on this subject. There is a great misunderstanding from a theological point of view about marriage. And I'll speak to the church here because this is what we are. This is who we are. And there's a passage in Scripture that causes us enormous problems in marriage. It is the most misinterpreted, is the most misquoted, is the most abused passage in marriage. You hear it quoted at most weddings. I quote from it at most weddings. And the passage is found in Ephesians chapter 5. So I'd like you this morning to go on a little bit of a journey with me looking at this passage because this passage and the weird interpretation we have of it has framed our minds as to how our marriages should be. Some marriages in this room are operating under a false understanding of this passage. And you're trying to make it work, but you're wondering if that's what it really means. Because you look and you say, I just, I'm miserable doing what I think God wants me to do. It's from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 33. So I'd like you to dig it up on your Bible. We're going to do a little bit of a game with this passage today. So I want you to, to try and find it. If you have a paper Bible, look it up, take your time. If you have an electronic Bible, look it up, take your time. Some of you are looking at me and say, Pastor, I ain't got no Bible. Don't single me out. I won't. But you, you'll miss out on a little bit of the fun if you don't actually look at the Bible, because I'm going to unpack this passage in a way that probably you have never, never seen it or read it this way. I'm going to read this passage for you first, just straight through Ephesians 5, starting at verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. As Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. And now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. How many of you women, you like this passage? A lot of women, you, you, you just stay tuned. You, may, you might not be so sure you raise your hand after. Submit to them in everything. Praise the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife 
loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and he cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The common mistake about this passage starts with the first and the second verse. If you look at the first verse of the passage, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do you see it? The next passage there, verse 22, in just about every Bible that's there, will say, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. How many of you, you see that in your Bible? The word submit to is there. Raise your hand if you see it. How many of you, you have actually a break between verse 21 and 22, and there's like a header there that says wives and husbands or Christian marriage? You have that? I have that in my Bible. Okay, and what this does is it lends to a particular view of this passage that the husband is the boss. He's the head, he's the boss, and the wife does what he says. And so what you have is you have wives who say, well, if I'm going to be a good, godly Christian wife, then I have to do whatever he says. I have to submit to whatever he wants. I can never say no to him. I can never conflict with him. I can never have an argument or a debate with him because if I'm going to be a Christian, godly wife, then I have to submit as to the Lord because the husband is the head. He's the boss. Let me tell you that that interpretation of the passage is incorrect. And I have seen many, many cases where wives put themselves through abominable marriages, married to men who are abusive, who take this text and say, you will obey me, you will do what I say, because if you're a Christian, this is what you will do, you will submit, I am the head, I am the boss, and you are my servant as the church serves Christ, you will serve me. I remember sitting down with a couple, and this man was abusive in ways that I cannot even mention, and he would use this text to his wife. You would be surprised the amount of self-proclaimed Christian men who abuse their wives in the name of this passage, and how many Christian wives think they have to sit down and take it, because that's what the passage says, doesn't it? Let me just give you a few pointers right off the bat. Verse 22 is connected to verse 21. So those of you who have a little header above verse 22 that says wives, or husband, wives and husbands or Christian marriage or rules for Christian marriage or something like that, you need to take that header and you need to forget that it's there because it really isn't. Uh, in the autographer, in, the, in the, the New Testament, didn't have all these headers. It didn't have chapter and verse. It didn't have all these pretty layouts that we have in our modern translations. We put that there to make it read easier. So when people put a header there above verse 22, they, it makes them think that it's not connected to verse 21. It is. It's very much connected to verse 21. And the, the reason is that verse 22 does not even say... Wives, submit to your husbands. 
It does not say that. It says, wives to your husbands. So read it again. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your husbands as to the Lord. You say, what's the difference? The difference is that you see that the two verses are connected. Yes, Paul means submit in verse 22, but you see that the two verses are connected. And it's very, very important for you to see that. What the Apostle Paul is trying to do and trying to teach about marriage, first lesson on the screen, the wife is to submit to her husband, yes, and the husband is to submit to the wife. Remember, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he will break it down and explain how. But the husband is not exempt from the submission. He is called to submit to his wife just as much as she is called to submit to him. Do you understand the difference? But when we say, oh, forget it, verse 22 has nothing to do with verse 21, what we have done is we have misread the text. The modern translators put in the submit to because it it helps them to understand. Okay, it helps us understand that's what Paul means. But they shouldn't have put that header in there. Those of you who have a, a Bible that has a separator there, it shouldn't be there. And I think the King James might be the only one. It will take the submit to and put it in italics. When King James does that, it means it's put it in there to help us understand the passage better. But the point is the two verses are linked. And what Paul is doing is he said, I'm going to teach you about mutual submission. So those of you who are husbands in the room and you think that this passage makes you the boss, it does not. Those of you who are wives in the room and you think it makes you his slave, it does not. It does not mean that you cannot disagree with him. It does not mean that you cannot conflict with him. It does not mean that those are bad things. Uh, Many healthy marriages have lots of conflict, plenty of conflict. It's not the the absence of conflict that makes a marriage healthy. Listen to me, married people. Just because you're fighting doesn't mean you're unhealthy. If you can't resolve your conflict, you're unhealthy. But if you conflict all the time, that's okay. Learn to resolve your conflict and it's fine. You can be healthy. I mean, God has taken two different people, completely different, and put them together. I mean, are you crazy? Why did you decide to get married? You spend the rest of your life with this person. You don't think you're going to conflict with them? Of course you will. You're two different genders. You're two different people. You're two completely different people. You're learning about each other for the rest of your lives. You're going to conflict all the time. The question is, can you fix your conflict? This passage does not teach that a wife cannot say no to her husband. And shame on us. If we have learned it that way, and if we, if we teach it that way, this is not what the text is trying to say. What it is teaching, first and foremost, is mutual submission. Husbands, it is your job, your role, your call to submit to your wife just as much as it is her call to submit to you. Do you understand so far? Okay, it's quiet. Lesson number two on this. Here's how... The wife is, or the husband, I'll start with him. Here is how the husband is supposed to submit to his wife. Some of you, you're, the men, you're scratching your head. I'm not submitting to her. I wear the pants in this place, right? I'm the boss. What are you talking about, mutual submission? You lost me already. Okay, let, let me just, just give me a few moments to try and get into your lives a little bit, okay? This is how the passage is teaching that a husband 
is supposed to submit to his wife. I know you husbands, you want to see what the wife is supposed to do. You're not a wife, you're a husband. You read the part that's to husbands. Okay, wives, you read the part that's to you. Okay, so here, husband, this is what you're supposed to do. Verse 25 um, reads, reads this way in my translation. Uh, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. That's a simile in the English language. See the word as? So he's drawing a simile. He's trying to draw a picture. Husbands, love your wives. How? Well, let me give you an example. As Christ loved the church, and how did he love the church? By giving himself up for her. By giving himself up for her on a cross, by sacrificing himself for her. So husbands, this is how you submit to your wife. First and foremost, you give yourself up for your wife. You say, her needs before my needs. She comes before me. I'm here to serve her and to give myself up for her. Her, I would die for her if necessary. I heard of one pastor, and he, he would look across the table at a couple who wanted to be married. He'd look at the husband, and he would, he would say, or the husband-to-be, and he would test him. He'd say, would you die for her, yes or no? And he said if he got a no or not sure, he would say you shouldn't be married. He has a, he has a point. To give yourself up for, to live a sacrificial relationship for your bride. That's how you submit to her. Number two, uh, and you'll see this kind of nested in verses 28 uh, and 29, uh, to protect and to provide. So verses 28 and 29, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives, again, as their own bodies. Well, how do you love your own body? He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but what does he do? He feeds it. He cares for it. This is protection. This is provision, just as Christ does the church. Christ feeds the church. He protects the church. Protection and provision. This, husbands, is how you submit to your wives, by giving yourself up that sacrifice, by protecting and by providing. Some husbands, they, they are not the major breadwinner in the home. Their wives make a lot more than them. Uh, they, they may not even work at all. Their wife is outside the home working. And, you know, and, and some husbands, they say, well, how can I provide for them? Well, can you cook? Can you clean? Be a good cook and be a good cleaner. That's the way that you provide. Do you understand? Just because she's got the paycheck doesn't mean that your job is no longer to provide. Doesn't mean you're no longer there to protect. Do you protect physically? Do you also protect emotionally? Do you have boundaries around your marriage? Emotional boundaries? Do you know how to say no to things that could, that could damage your marriage? Right? Protection and provision and sacrifice. This is how a husband submits to his wife. Do you get that so far? You probably never heard a message on how a husband is submit to, to submit to his wife. You heard the other way. Let me talk to the wives for a moment. And, you know, there's a lot less written to the wives in the passage, by the way. So this is how the wife is to submit to her husband. 
acknowledge and respect his role to love, protect, and provide. So verses 22 to 24, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So again, the image, how should I submit to my husband? Well, you should submit to the husband the same way that you submit to the Lord. You submit to the Lord, don't you? Well, do you submit to the Lord because he's your boss and you're his slave? No, it's not a boss-slave relationship. For the husband is the head of the wife as, 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 again, a simile, an image, Christ is the head of the church. It doesn't say, for the husband is the boss of the wife, for the husband is the owner of the wife, as Christ is the boss of the church or the owner of the church. It's not using that word. It's using the word head. And I want you to keep that in your head for a few moments. We'll unpack it in a few minutes. His body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Well, wouldn't you want to submit to a husband who's sacrificial toward you, who protects you and who provides for you like Christ does the church? Wouldn't you be willing to submit to such a guy? It doesn't mean you don't argue with him. It doesn't mean you don't conflict with him. It means you acknowledge and you respect the fact that, hey, it's your job to sacrifice yourself for me. It's your job to love me, to protect me, and to provide for me. And I'm going to acknowledge you, and I'm going to respect you for doing that. So let, let me give you an experiment. The wives, the daring wives. Okay, let me give you an experiment. You, you did, in a week... Pick two or three moments where you acknowledge and respect your husband for sacrificing himself for you, for protecting you, and for providing for you. Just, just little remarks where you would say something, do something, where you would be thankful, acknowledging and respecting the fact that he does that for you. Watch how he responds. Watch the response and see. You can test the scripture to be true. And then another week... And this is really daring, or right? I don't really recommend it, but some of you, you're probably already doing it anyway. Take little shots at your husband. Make little remarks and little quips about his inability to sacrifice himself for you or to protect you or to provide for you. Make little jokes, little remarks about his inability to do that. Watch the response. I guarantee you, listen to me, wives, you want a response from your husband that is positive? You want to stimulate the idea of him sacrificing himself for you and protecting you and providing for you? Acknowledge it. Acknowledge it and respect him for it and watch how he responds. Wow, you are going to push the button of, of all of that stuff up a high, high level. You will be incredibly fulfilled as a wife if you push that button. But if you push the other button, well, you know, buddy here, I got to do everything in this house because he can't do it. He, he, he's playing video games, you know. He's goofing off. He's with his buddies. You say that in front of other people, especially other people who you and he know. Watch the response. You will test the scripture to be true. This is how wives, you submit to your husbands. It doesn't mean that you don't disagree. It doesn't mean you don't have 
conflict. It doesn't mean any of that. It means you've got to acknowledge the role that the scripture has given to him. Let me show you what we do, how we misread this text. I'm going to give it to you in a like a visual illustration if you put it on the screen there. Ah, there we are. So hopefully you can see it, can you? Let me show you what we do with it, all right? There's, there's images in there and, and, and what we can call couplets, words that go together. So for the wife, it's these words. For the husbands, it's these words, and we can match them together. Here's what we do. We say, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and in versions that still include it, we say, wives, submit. Uh-huh. And you see it's in yellow. Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head. Amen, said all the men, right? No, don't say amen. <laughs> for the husband's the head. Submit to the head. There it is. He's the boss. He's the head. I'm his employee. I'm his slave. Submit to the head. There's the first image we say to ourselves. For, uh, uh, he's the head of the wife as Christ. Oh, there's uh, Jesus is there. He's the head of the church, his body. Say, okay, Christ and body. So, submit to the head. Christ is the, is the head of the body. So we say, oh, there's the next image of which he's a savior. Now, as the church submits to everything, wives submit to everything and all they do, husbands love your wives, Christ the church. And I'll go on and I'll skip just for time's sake. For this reason, a man will leave his father, his mother, be united to his wife. And in verse 33, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Say, there it is. Submit to the head. Christ is over the body. Love and respect. There's the three images. That's what I need to know. Let's have a happy marriage. Let me show you the mistake that we make in a little chart. The next slide. So here, this is a bad, this is a bad way of reading the text. So this is what we think. We say, well, husband, he's the head. The wife, she submits. Christ is the head of the body, and the husband needs to love, and the wife needs to respect. Do, do you see the mistake that we're making there? The passage is not telling Christ what to do in the marriage. The passage is telling husbands what to do in the marriage. And what we do is we take the image of Jesus in the church, and we don't make it a simile anymore. We don't make it an image anymore. We make ourselves out to be God to our wife. Can I tell you something, husbands? You are no God. And your wife knows you're no God. You're not her God. You are a far cry from her God, let me tell you. But if you say, you read it this way, which most of us do, head submit, Christ's body, love and respect, that's it, that's all. Let's have dinner. You may try to make that work. I think I would suggest to you that your wife may have some deep, pent-up frustrations about that view. Unless, of course, you may be one of these husbands who you actually do what the text says, then you might be able to get away with it. And you say, well, I love sacrificially, and, and I protect, and I provide, and she just does what I say all the time. It's amazing. She never conflicts with me. Well, you might find there's something underneath the surface. Again, I will say it. Show me a marriage where there's no conflict, and I will show you an unhealthy marriage. What has happened there is that one of the two spouses has said, I give up. I'll let Buddy have his way all the time, or I'll let Missy have her way all the time, because whenever I say anything or do anything that conflicts with them, it turns into 
a horror show. That's because the couple doesn't know how to resolve conflict, and that's not healthy. And that's not what this passage is teaching. Let me show you the correct way of looking at it. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, okay? How do we submit to one another? Wives, to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the, of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body. Head and body, not submit to the head. If you've got a head with no body, you've got a messed up thing there. Have any of you ever seen a head walking around talking? Hey, how are you? I'm fine. I can't shake your hand. I have no body. Have you ever seen that? You ever seen a head just walking around with no body? I know it's a silly question. Have you ever seen a body walking around with no head? Hi, nice to meet you. I can't talk. I have no head. Shake my hand. I, I can't see you. I can't reach my hand out to shake your hand. Do, do you understand? But what we have done is we've chopped up the, the image of the body, and we have marriages now where it's either all head or it's all body. <laughs> so you've got the guy. He's the boss, and it's just him. I mean, it's like his head is right here on the table, and he's bossing her around all day. I'm the head. I'm the head. I'm the head. Or you have the wife, and she's bossing him all around all day, and I'm the body, I'm the body, and there's no, there's no connection between the head and the body. The image is head and body. It's not submit to head. That's the first couplet. And then you see, uh, uh, how does a wife submit? Well, wives, to your own husbands. Again, the word submit is not in the text, but the idea is there. Well, how does the husband submit to his wife? By giving himself up for her. So the second couplet, submit, give yourself up. So what does the wife do? She submits. Well, how does the husband do it? He gives himself up. That's the second couplet. And the third one we usually get right, love and respect. So if you put it in a little picture... Here's what husbands have to do. Super, super easy. Take a picture of it on your phone. Come and see me after. I'll send you the notes. Husband, give yourself up for your wife. Sacrifice, protect, provide. You are the head, not the boss. Head is not boss. And some, some Christian husbands, they have real issues with this. They say, of course the head is the boss. Look at the head on the body. The head's the boss. You sure you want to make that argument? What if you had no heart? You die too. Heart's part of the body, right? It's, it, the, the head and body is a relationship. It is not, I'm the boss, you submit to me. If you took the heart out, you die. Took a major organ out, you die. There's a relationship there. There's an image of a relationship, and, and there's a mutual uh, uh, respect. There's a mutual submission that happens. It is not boss, and you, everybody else does what I say. A human body does not function like that. And if you have a body that is out of sync with the head, do you know what you have? A diseased body. If the body is in constant rebellion against the brain and the head, then you got a body that's out of control. You've got a diseased body. Do you know that even underneath the base of your brain, you have a little gland there that, that if it's, it's like a thermometer, like a, uh, and if, it, if it's out of whack, the whole body goes out of whack. If you have problems in the body, 
the head gets out of whack. It's a, re- it's a relationship that's happening there. It's not boss-employee. So husband, you give yourself up. You're the head, not the boss, and you are to love your wives. Uh, Colossians puts it this way. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Oh, I've seen a lot of harsh husbands with their wives, a lot of them. Just as an experiment, married couples, when you're out in, in, outside in social places, watch the couples. Watch how the husband treats the wife. Is he harsh or is he gentle? Is he respectful of her? Does he look like he's self-sacrificing for her? Or does he look like I'm the head, I'm the boss? And I'll be on my cell phone, thank you very much, and I won't talk to you, right? Watch how they treat one another. Usually what happens in marriages, the older the couple gets, the more and more lazy they each get. (laughs) The more and more harsh the husband gets with the wife, the more and more disrespectful. Uh, And likewise, the wife. Well, I'm not going to submit to this turkey. He's harsh with me. Why should I acknowledge him? Right? Usually the older they get, the more lazy they get. The beginning of the relationship, oh, yeah, everybody's doing their thing. They're putting their best foot forward. Oh, we're in love. Great. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The rings go on the fingers. Everything starts changing. Right? So husbands, you give yourself up. You're the head, not the boss. And you are to love, to love. Wife, this is what you're supposed to do. You're to submit. Again, you acknowledge the fact that, hey, this guy, he's supposed to sacrifice himself for me. He's supposed to protect me. He's supposed to provide for me. And you acknowledge that. And you respect that. And you make a point to do that. You are the body. That's also a huge, huge responsibility. Again, using the image of, uh, of Christ and the church. And you are to respect uh, your husband. Again, try the experiment and see what happens when you respect and see what happens when you disrespect. This, friends, is the right way to have a healthy and a joy-filled marriage. But again, if we, if we do it the other way, you're going to, over time, experience things that, wow, they're going to take a long, long time to undo. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying so far? You sure? Do, do you have any questions today? I figured, I figured I would try for questions at the end of this one because for some of you, you're like, this is a total shock. Like, I never, ever heard a message like this about marriage before, and uh, I'm a bit stunned. I'm not sure if I agree. Do you have any questions? Going once. Any bold people? Yeah, so, so again, and this, this, is, this is not only based on the text, but this is based on what I've seen. Um, for the, the key to healthy submission for a wife is to recognize, okay, this husband of mine, his call by this text is to, is to sacrifice for me, to give himself up for me, to protect me, to provide for me, to feed and to care for me. And I need to acknowledge that. I need to come under that. I need to appreciate that. And I need to respect that. So when he does that, I will acknowledge him for it. 
I will respect him for it in whatever way, maybe verbally, maybe in another way. I will, I will show him that that is what I need and that is what I need him to do. And I will honor him. I will respect him. I will submit to him when he does those things. Do, do you understand what I mean? And that's the practical way. And again, the, the, the big test, uh, if you want to try this, you know, or any of the women in the room want to try it, you try doing that. Acknowledge him. Uh, uh, so that he knows that you appreciate the fact that he's doing those things, watch the response. He, he, will, he will just, he's going to be the husband of your dreams. Disrespect him and make it seem like he can't do those things, like he's incapable of doing those things, like he's not enough, um, that you watch what happens. Uh, a lot of times that's how affairs start. It's when a husband, for example, feels totally disrespected and dishonored by his wife. And then there's some other honey at the workplace who says, oh, you are the smartest, greatest. You know, you're the most caring person. You're the most generous person. You protected me from the car who tried to hit me. You know, and all of a sudden, you've got sparks and you've got a potential affair on your hands because the wife, in that case, did not do what the text told her to do. It's not her fault that she goes and cheats on him, mind you, but still, the recipe was there. Do you understand? Now, women, I'm telling you, wives, you know how powerful this is. I'm telling you, put it to the test, and you will watch. You will see a transformation in your husband. You'll be like, I didn't know this was so easy. <laughs> this is so easy to do. This is amazing. All I have to do is that you're going to see a tremendous, tremendous change. Does that help? Husbands are such husbands are such babies. They're big babies. They're like little little children. And and wives, if you know that, I'm telling you the power in that knowledge. They're big babies. They need to be told that they're the man. Do you know what I'm saying? And you sometimes you say, well, how can he be such a baby? Is that that's I'm telling you, you watch. The result, and you shall see. Any other questions? That was a good one. Oh, how long have you been married? Forty years. Good for you. You may be married a little longer than 40 years if you give him that card. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, what you did was you found your fulfillment in Christ first. And, and, and hopefully, hopefully he did as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good testimony, Vivian. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, may, maybe you can help him in that venture. But, but, 
But God bless you as you honor him and as you respect him. That's a good testimony. 40 years of marriage, that's becoming an endangered species. It, yeah, it's worth a clap. Yeah, 40 years. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. Anybody else? Questions, comments? She, she's 40 years. How many years you've been married, Joes? 18. Good for you. What, 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 what's, your, what's your question or comment? The what? The, the, the terms head and body are problematic? Yeah. Well, I think, but I think that's, that's in a misunderstanding of the term head and body. Again, um, Not according to Paul. Uh, according to Paul, he's using the image of a head for the husband. He's using the image of a body for the wife. But if we understand what a human body is, it's, that's not really a boss and subservient relationship. Again, take the heart out. Take a major organ out, and the body dies. Take the head out, the body dies. But the head has a responsibility. So the, 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 the commands are coming. You know, the muscles are doing what the head says. I mean, if the head isn't functioning properly, it can't take care of and feed the body. It can't care for it. It can't feed for it. The head's got to work. I mean, you see people who, who when, when, they, when they get to a point where they have dementia, the head ceases to work. It ceases to function. Well, a lot of our marriages are like that. It's like, it's like the guy is operating as if he's demented as if he has dementia of some sort. So I don't think, um, I think that if Paul wanted to, to make a, a boss and subservient type image, he would have used a different one. Um, so again, the body of Christ um, and the head, to me, it's a beautiful image of a relationship that's happening there. And each has a different role, a different function, different responsibilities. This is why I say it's so controversial, even in church pulpits now, to say that there's a difference between men and women. Even in churches now, that's becoming controversial. But there is a difference, friends, and there will always be a difference. And when you take that difference, you put them together, they complement one another. So that's the best answer that I, that I have for that. Um, so, you know, can the woman be the head? Well, not according to the scripture. Yes, Viano. Yeah. 
And I think we're, we're talking about role here as well as relationship. So the passages from Corinthians, and Paul uses different, you know, he's an eye and an ear and a mouth and a, you know, a, a part that's, that's a, a little more discreet is his kind of language. But he's saying all these parts are important. The smallest little part is important. The largest part is important. So he's borrowing that with marriage here. And I think what he's doing is he's, he's, he's distinguishing roles as well. And that can be a little controversial even in churches. In some churches, oh, no, the roles are exactly the same. We got to be careful of that apologetic, in my view. When the church starts using the apologetic, well, men and women are completely equal in every way. Men can do anything a woman can do. Women can do anything a man can do. That's the apologetic that's used to, to defend things like same-sex marriage and changing your gender and all those things. That's the apologetic that's used. So I think we need to be a little bit careful and think about what we say before we say it. We've got to filter it through the scripture, whether it's offensive or not. Yes, we do. Yes. Yeah, it's not the head of a company. It's the head of a body. And the head of a body is different than the head of a company. Yeah. It's, yeah, well, what it is is it's cultural. When we think of head, we think of, you know, the boss. And, and we do that partly because the way that we've translated this text and sometimes the little bridge that we put between verse 21 and 22 is kind of teaching us to do it that way. I don't believe this is what Paul intended. So when you're the head of the company, you can do what Donald Trump does. You're fired. But you can't do that with your body. The head can't say to the foot, you're fired. I'm sorry to pick on President Trump. And, you know, we need to pray, by the way, for the whole situation that, you know, last night there were missile strikes into Syria. Uh, but, I mean, it, it, it's not the same image. It's not talking about a company in the head. So it's not you're fired if I don't like you, right? You can't fire your body. So, so that, and again, that's a cultural thing. Soon as people see a head, submit, right? And, but when we get up and we teach that and we say, wives, you have to do everything the guy says, everything, everything, everything. You mean everything? Yeah, everything. Because if you do, that makes you really spiritual. Makes, makes you really silly is what it makes you, in, in, in my view. Uh, you, you know, you should be able to stand up to him. You should be able to have healthy conflict. You should be able to debate robustly as long as you can resolve the conflict in the end and you're healthy. Does that make sense? So it's a cultural thing. Back in Paul's culture, if he said head and body, they wouldn't be thinking, you know, Donald Trump, you're fired. They would be thinking head and body, right? Yes. Pardon? We, when people get married, many people don't understand. In, in the Bible, in the Word of God, there's the relation of men and women. Yeah, the, the two will become one flesh. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and become one flesh, be united to his wife. But because many people, 
oh, think that the uh, que la mamá va a être un avec son enfant. Okay, so what he's talking about is, um, the text says in Genesis 2, the, the, man, the man shall leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. The leave there is actually an aggressive word. It's a violent word in, in Genesis 2. So there's, a, there's a, the relationship of being attached to, for many men, it's their moms. It changes. You're not, you come out from your mama's house <laughs> and your papa's house, and you become one flesh with your wife. So it changes. Because the devil wants to destroy the family. And to destroy the, the church. Yeah, yeah and, and destroy the society. And he, and he commence par détruire le mariage. Yeah, he starts by destroying marriage. Yeah, again, he's talking about this idea you become one flesh with your spouse, not with your mother or your father. You leave your mother and your father, you become one flesh with your spouse. When I listened to my pastor by, uh, before I got married, uh, many people don't understand. Because the society today is becoming counter to marriage. But everything that God created. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, men and women have to understand that when they get married, they become one flesh. And from there, you have love and respect and all those things. Excellent commentary. How many years have you been married? Combien d'années? Keynes. Good. So we have a 15, we have a 17, we have a 40. For, for Janet and I, it's going to be 25 in December. 25. I can't believe she stayed with a nutcase like me for 25 years. Oh, am I thankful. Let me tell you, I married up, up, up. Let me tell you. Oh, boy. Husbands, you want to hear about some stupid things that a husband can do? You come and see me, okay? I'll tell you all the mistakes that you shouldn't make. Stand with me. We're going to pray and end it here, okay?